I'm Elizabeth Wise. And we are her guys. And this room sounds great. Master, I've been called worse, I guess. Well, I was. Now I just like to travel and play gigs and stay in shitty hotels and eat bad food. The practical joke things absolutely cannot be repeated until the statute of limitations go out on those because they're just too ripe. Art is never finished. You give up. Hello, podcast lovers. Thank you for hitting play on This Room Sounds Great. We know you have a lot of options when you're out there, I don't know, planning your summer vacation and dusting your Fabergé egg, and you chose us? We are so incredibly grateful and lucky. This episode, we have the distinct pleasure of talking to a musician who has an album coming out, Toot Sweet, and we need to make sure everybody on the planet knows that it is here, it has been a labor of love, and it's all been worth it. We have Miss Elizabeth Wise. Good morning. I'm going to give everybody an opportunity. Just go around, tell me who you are and uh, what your involvement on this project is. Hopefully, Elizabeth Wise and her guys, you're Elizabeth Wise. (laughs) I'm Elizabeth Wise, and I uh, wrote most of the material. I guess I play a little guitar and sing a little bit on it. (laughs) Just a little bit. Just a little bit. (laughs) And Mr. Chafin, your involvement on this project? Um, Keep Elizabeth straight so that she will... You know, but she, so she'll perform more than just a little bit, like she was talking about, and actually emote and give us the full Elizabeth Wise that we all know and love. Um, you know, role of a producer's an interesting one. You know, you basically have to learn when to get out of the way and when to push and shove, and um, you know, and when to quit. <laughs> that's huge. That editing process. When to that's stop. Huge. Mm-hmm. Art is never finished. You give up. <laughs> Correct, Kenny. That's exactly right. It's Ooh. never done. Quote of the year. It's never done. <laughs> yeah, never and, done. And Kenny, how are you part of this little tribe? I was a hired gun from, uh, uh, they, sent, they sent tracks up to Brooklyn, New York. I did my stuff up here and uh, through the modern wonders of technology, uh, sent it back. And there it is on the record. <laughs> And who else um, is not with us that's on the record as well, Elizabeth? A lot of people. <laughs> a lot. A yes. lot of people. <laughs> but there are a lot of good friends, you know, that you have that you invited, like Kenny, to, to perform on this record. Mm-hmm. And they gave incredible performances. Uh, I mean, just really amazing stuff. I think that's one of the most fun things about making something like us, right? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, it was, uh, that was, I think, the biggest treat for me was working with so many people that are dear to me and pulling it together collectively very collaborative effort very collaborative um i think it's a great album i think i think uh both did an amazing job and i'm never i'm never that uh gracious with compliments especially on productions because that's what i that's what i've done and that i i just really think uh, carlos you did exactly what you just said you know you, you knew what when to do it and what to do and it, it just sounds the stuff just pops, you know, it's just really, I can't wait to have it in my hands. Yeah. I think there's a lot of us that feel. That yeah. Way. Can we just remember, can we just, yeah. Yeah. Can we just remember that he's a New Yorker and yeah. he just said that? We, we, you know, that's fine. You know, we're surrounded by Brooklyn folks around here. Yeah. Yeah. We really are. And it's, uh, you know, Richmond's such a melting pot. Uh, I think that's part of what has has really infused its music scene, 
with uh, a lot of cool stuff because um, you know we've got um, we've got people that I know that have come out of you know every music school probably on the planet here that that you know and because of the VCU music school and its international jazz connections that's its big thing they've had professors there through the years who are very very steeped in jazz traditional jazz mostly um and as a result a lot of the students that come out of here are in that world and what it does is it does an interesting thing those people are all over the planet right so they go play in these bands these students leave here and go play in these bands all over the universe and then come back here to have a family or hang out or whatever and the amount of enrichment they get from those experiences and bringing it back here and coming into a session and playing with you is a pretty unique situation because there's a lot of great music towns all over the world. They're known for their sound. Uh, you know, we certainly think of iconic, you know, New Orleans kind of things, those kind of situations, Memphis, you can go down the list. And they have a sound, and those are people that grew up there and were deeply in that music scene, learned some other things, uh, and then brought them to the table. And you have some great session work and some great albums come out of it. But in Richmond, it, it's not really known for that. There's no Richmond sound. Nobody goes, oh, that was recorded in Richmond. You know, they don't think like that because it's so bloody diverse here. It's so rich and it is the sound it's it is the sound it's mm-hmm. the, i mean we will have uh people that we're really good friends with right elizabeth that are like rappers yeah. and people doing you know what we call uh raga pop mm-hmm. uh you know all these weird strange labels you put on things and these are the people we tap to play on the record yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's really really fun mm-hmm. to have that and and you know I Kenny I include you in that because you know you've met Elizabeth you you guys are friends and she drug you into this mess so you know here you are adding your spice to this thing. And, How's you know, Richmond as a live music town? Oh, incredible! I think it's incredible. Yeah, and that, that was you know one of the the sort of jumping off topics was you know what do you think of the Richmond music scene and you've just led into it perfectly that we have outdoor venues we have small venues we have the nationally touring venues we have a studio that's a venue now here I mean we I think the live music I mean, scene here know, is nationally incredible. we had Steely Dan last night playing mm-hmm. at, and then tonight we've got Jackson Brown right yeah we'll have Nora Jones and on Nora Friday. Jones is here at the end of the week I mean it's a it's an incredible uh, live venue thing on a national level, but Elizabeth, you know, I mean, you, you know, you can talk about like just the bar scene and all the other. There's, a, there's a million musicians playing. Yeah, there live are. here. It's crazy. There are. Is it nurturing to to local artists? You know, I ask that every podcast episode, and most of them here say yes. Most of the musicians here, Kenny, play in multiple bands. So they do this little do-si-do. Right. Um, and, right. and each band is very supportive of each musician's endeavors, I find. I mean, there may be something going on behind the scenes I don't know about. Um, and so, yeah, you could see them at the Camel, which is a great little dive bar one night. And then they might be 
the dinner music at the VMFA uh, the next night or a couple members from the same band will be in a different band in a completely different environment. So everyone is very well-rounded and supportive. I, I really do think it's a supportive. Well, that sounds more like Boston than New York. New York used to be a lot more like that. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny. Right now we're scoring a TV show for, um, and it's about Nashville. It's a, it's a show. Um, it's called The Good Road. It's on PBS. And this episode's about Nashville. And it's about the music scene in Nashville back in the day. And it's primarily the influence of African-American music that was absolutely squashed and washed out of the country formula that was there and how it just was dismissed. And they, you know, talk about all these amazing artists that lived in Nashville for a long time. And I look at that as a cautionary tale. <laughs> you know, it's like, watch out what you're doing because those people could be really it they were really the thing that mattered mm -hmm. and you moved past that way too fast yeah. right elizabeth any yeah. rate back to elizabeth and her <laughs> album yes back to elizabeth what stories are you telling on this album so tell us the name of the album and what stories are you sharing with us your your music is always so beautifully vulnerable and powerful at the same time which is a really cool trick to pull off not a trick but it's just an incredible thing to pull off so what can we expect uh, it's called Reckless Sophistication, and um, the stories really range from um, personal experiences to um, relaying experiences from, uh, from friends, things they were going through, to, I mean, it's, I remember um, a writer telling me, you can you can never really write about something that you don't have some personal experience about. So even if it's not completely autobiographical, you still it's still from your own experiences in one way or another and that's very true out of this. Truth is most of the songs on the on the record um I realized well after recording that they most of them came straight out of um intense PTSD therapy from a lot of a, a long line of abusive relationships um, that I had to really figure out how to uh, change. Um, but how cathartic. Yeah, but I didn't even know it was happening and that those were the songs that ended up on the record. And I didn't pick the list of the record by myself. I pitched a lot of tunes around to um, Carlos and other guys, um, I think even, even Kenny, just a long line of demos uh, going, some of them weren't even finished yet. They were almost finished and just scratch stuff. And some of them were there on your phone. Some of them were on my phone. It was, and some of them I wrote. I, I, I sent out a line, and then I think there was one that ended up being on it. It was super rough, and it said, "Oh, here's another. I just wrote this." One. <laughs> um, so it, you know, it was a from the beginning. It was a very collaborative effort of which stories went together to come on this, and just how it happened. A lot of those stories came out of um, that that very very intense experience. Getting in touch with a lot of anger. You'll find that. <laughs> yeah, the album is so beautiful and palatable to the ear. It wouldn't. It doesn't come across as an angsty. Or, or that's angry. because she's got that's because she's got perspective about those 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 situations. I think 
you know, when you're when you've just come out of no matter no matter what you're writing about it, politics, romance, if you have no if you've just come out of something terrible or you're or you're in something terrible like we are now, uh, it's there's very little perspective and and it's really tough to write something that would be general enough for someone else to relate to it. It's usually self-indulgent and woe is me. And uh, none of these songs are, you know, that, that Elizabeth has done. So, you know, I imagine it's taken a lot of work to get to that point, but, but that's, that's the point you need to be because they're personal experience, they're, they're trying experiences, but they have a, a perspective that someone else could listen to them and say, that's, you know, that fine for her, but that's my life she's, she's singing about. And to me, that's the ultimate goal of a songwriter make somebody else feel it's feel it's about them. Well, let's play a little sample of the song so everybody can get an idea of what that sound is. most um, fulfilling or collaborative or rewarding aspect of working on this album I mean having known her body of work and watching her grow and evolve um, what was what was really satisfying about working on this with her satisfying was the first time I put on the, ta- the, the tracks that they sent and I said oh man this is really good <laughs> and I was very happy to hear that because uh, <laughs> Uh, it beats the alternative, right? It do, well, you know, it, it, it does. And I, I know Elizabeth's very good. I know much about you, Carlos, but I sure do now, just through your work. And I, and it was just, you know, I put them on. I said, well, I just want to sit down and play. Because, you know, this, this, these sound great. And then there's a, there's a real, uh, it feels like a band, even though, you know, that's, kudos to the producer and artist that when you when you listen to it it feels like not a bunch of guys studio guys who've just come in and and done their thing it feels like people that have been playing together for a while and and the grooves are great and it it just gels like a band and so for me it was just so easy to sit down and put parts in and and know right away what wasn't needed and and what might help um, i usually end up sending more than i need but uh i don't know if i did this time or not yeah, that was extremely satisfying to play on this record, and and because it's a great it's a great record, songs and tracks. I mean, what a great testament to the work that's done here. That yeah, somebody getting it farther away that wasn't part of the initial creation, to to be able to feel it coming through instead of 
Yeah, yeah, usually I listen to something they send me. Oh, I should have done this. Oh, I should have done that. Uh, if I were that, I would have done this. There was very little of that, if any. Um, and Kenny's a producer. I mean, yeah, that that's himself, what. I, that's so. what. It was. Well, I was. Now I just like to travel and play gigs and stay in shitty hotels and eat bad food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you really like that. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Carlos, what about you? What did you find rewarding? I mean, you. I was witness to a lot of the, the work on it and, and um, the creation, but what did you find most enlightening where it just felt uh, complete? Well, and that'd it definitely like be it getting it finished. <laughs> <laughs> getting that baby born already. Give no. birth. Give birth now. This album I, is a labor of love. Epidural. No, I, what is most satisfying to me is a lot of times as a producer, and I know Kenny can amplify this concept, you're given a task. You're just, here's a box. Try to make it not smell and look so much like a box, you know? I mean, here it is. Here's an artist. Here's this thing you've got to bring to life somehow, you know, and you could do that by sprinkling in musicians, you know, or, or talking to the artists and trying to get them to do things that maybe they aren't so willing to do, uh, you know, putting them, you know, putting the pressure on them to do what they need to do. Um, but in this case, that was not true for anything, any of that. Um, first of all, Elizabeth writes great songs. You don't have to sit there and beat the hell out of a song to make it good. You just take her ideas, you get a room full of musicians, which, by the way, Kenny, that's why we did it. We did it like a band. We just get everybody in the room and knock it right. out. Most of those tracks have zero overdubs on them. That's great. Like Except for mine. Except for mine. The, the only thing we did, because you were singing yeah. and you know, leading the band while you were doing it, so we would get your vocal again or your guitar part again mm -hmm. just so and it's your album so it's <laughs> you know, let's take a, another couple of shots and see if we get a better solo and in some cases we did mm -hmm. but that was the only overdubbing other than stuff we had sprinkled in from guest artists like you Kenny and others that we asked to play on it um, it was head-on you know the string section we did you know at Space Bomb that was head-on that's yeah. that was everything that was a rhythm section and a string section, two sessions, and then a vocal session, and that thing was out the door. And you wow. sang the vocal in no time. I mean, you know, you came and listened to it. It's so inspiring, of course, to sing over the top of something like that, that you just, it lifts you up and you just do it. And that's all it takes with you is just point you in the right direction. You, you, you always know what to do. And from my perspective, that Whether sure you think makes so my or job not. easy. <laughs> sure makes my job easy, I'll tell you. There were a number of times, I think, where where I would be nervous, and I was nervous about that song going, I'm just not sure that I'm, I know how to do this the best way that it could be done. And you said, once you hear this, once we get the string section, you'll know what to do. And your confidence in me just telling me, you'll know what to do. Just wait. Yeah. You'll know what to do. And say, huh. And it worked educational it's, those are the uncredited parts of a good producer but you're gonna to have to work on your narcissism elizabeth you don't have enough of it uh, <laughs> i'll put that on my to-do list yeah <laughs> yeah <homework>. definitely <laughs> narcissism lessons yes. <laughs> yeah I, I can give you some <laughs> see that's what friends are for <laughs> kenny what's been a very memorable performance in your career none 
<laughs> you play music? What? <laughs> what day my is it? Memory, my memory is shot, and I don't remember any of them. No, I've I've had a lot. I've had the good fortune of playing with people I've idolized, you know, my whole life. And I moved to New York, and here I am giving them charts to play. It was uh, it was kind of unreal for me. And uh, I was a kid in the candy store. Same with the singers on all these sessions, because I produced a lot of. Uh, produced a lot of jingles. I was in the jingle business for uh, for 18 years up here. Um, phenomenal uh, wealth of talent and uh, both music, music and, and vocals. And then when I started playing gigs, uh, I played gigs uh, in the 20s when I was more uh, viable, um, demographically viable, but not so much anymore. And, and I started playing again about 20 years ago, and I, I've enjoyed that. Just incredible. They played some uh, amazing shows around the world, and I, I don't know if I could pick one mm-hmm. that that stands out. I could pick some surreal ones, but 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 none that are my favorites. I, I think I've had a lot of favorites. I would say to people listening to this, you know, you should explore Kenny White's catalog of albums and so forth because he's an amazingly talented musician, and he's had a lot of contributions to the musical world. You should be aware of. And um, if you're not aware of Kenny's work, get to know it. That's what I oh, would thank tell you. you. Kennywhite.net. Kennywhite.com <laughs> will take you to a realtor site. Isn't that right? It's a realtor? In, in Virginia. and somewhere around, <laughs> around Lorton, I think. So they might go to that instead. Uh, this podcast well, you is so might, informative. Uh, <laughs> Places to well, not go I on know. the internet. <laughs> Carlos, what about you and your vast career? You've... You know, I don't want to talk about it. Oh, come on, come on. I, you know, Kenny will tell you this. Anybody that's behind the scenes that we've mm. elected to do what we do, we don't like to. We don't like to blow our horn. We're the worst self PR people in the business. <laughs> you run into amazing people along the way, and one of my favorite things to do is to take people from all those disciplines, including the business discipline of running a studio and a, and a complex like we have here uh, take that all sprinkled together bring all those friends bring all the people that were influential in helping me get to where I am bring them together let them meet each other and then let and let the stew start to boil you know because it's amazing when you start introducing people that are like Elizabeth to the curator of a museum or the head of a major five fortune 500 business or the you know some you know some figure like that or some educator or something you know and she loves that most artists do they love having these connections into the community at that level you pull all that together that's what i'm about that's what I'm about today. That you know, as you get old, further in your life, and you make these connections and everything, it's time to cash in. <laughs> <laughs> um, because of these friendships and so forth, and because of Elizabeth's great music, and also the, some great music on the part of a few other artists that we're talking with, and we'll get more into that at some point in the future. There's plenty of time. Um, we've elected to start a label, but. I have vowed my whole life I would never, ever be involved in a record label. I would never be in that smarmy business. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like all the things that go along with it. But I'm speaking of the traditional record business of yesteryear. Um, today, we've got a lot of 
challenges, but we also got a lot of technological tools that we never had before. We also have a whole new group of people business-wise that are approaching things in a very, very different way. And so you start looking at the whole record company thing and you go, well, maybe there's a different way to do this as well. Uh, and of course there is. Of course there is. There's a way to do it with much more transparency, much more creativity, and certainly much more connection between all the people involved in the process. But you've got to design it in from the beginning. And that's what we're trying to do. We're, we're, you know, for example, Shaco Records, you know, there's a couple of things we don't do that a normal record label would do. I hate to even call it a record label. It's more like an artist experiment is what it is. But, for example, we don't even try or bring up the conversation of controlling an artist's publishing or their sync rights. That's their thing. And we let them have it. Say, that's yours. Knock yourself out. But on the other hand, we don't pay a big advance. We don't produce the album for the artist. I mean, you know, we, we did. I did in this case for Elizabeth, but I was paid to do that. We did a Kickstarter to get this album paid, and that paid for the production of the album. So that was a creative new way to do that. You know, So what's, what happens here is when the artist steps out onto that stage and announces their album, the album is paid for. There is no money, there's no advance, but there's also no debt. Right. And you're walking out there with a clean slate and you're saying, I got an album, and I'm partners with this entity called Chaco Records. Shaka Records' job is to promote the album, make sure it gets to the biggest audience it can get to. That's what it does. The artist is supposed to perform and do their bit to, to make the album popular and, and make us all rich, hopefully. <laughs> but, but the record company's job is to support them and do all the things that get in their way that a modern artist today often has to do themselves. Everything. The booking, they have to do everything. Booking, social media, um, all that managing junk. their own time, which most artists are, are hard to do. Correct. So what we're doing with Shaka Records is it's really a big virtual team that handles all these things. Experts are handling all of these points, so no one person has to do it. We just have to coordinate it. And I'm, I'm pretty used to doing that, and I've included a few other people because I'm used to running a business. So I know how to bring in outsiders and ask them to do th unnatural acts <laughs> 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 on the behalf of the artist. I, I don't mind asking for those things. You know, would you mind doing this for this artist? Could they play at your event? Could they do whatever would you mind promoting this album would you mind giving us some money <laughs> <laughs> i don't mind asking any of those things on behalf of the artist i could never do it for myself but i don't mind doing it for elizabeth <laughs> or rodney that. or the other people that we have so that's the shaco records idea and yes her album will be the first album out on it so what does the release of this album mean to you, Elizabeth? <laughs> Having this kind of support behind you? Yeah, it's amazing to have uh, um, that level of support. And the people giving the support, they are just wonderful people. And, um, you know, just feeling like it, my voice is not taken away by anybody. It's, um, it's just from wonderful, supportive, uh, creative 
problem-solving people who have all these different resources and um, and uh, skill sets from their experiences to bring to the table. So there's any anything that you have a question about, there's at least one person that I can go to and say, what do you, what do you think about this? You've seen this. I've never seen this before or never been in a position to even try and tackle this before. How do I do it? Um, so just not feeling so alone. You're exactly right. What a great place to be when you're releasing something that's vulnerable and <laughs> and you want it to be successful. And it's it's difficult when you're just one voice to get it out there to thousands and hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. And I think that artists like Elizabeth and and some of the other people that we have coming up, um, they have the ability to break the genre barrier. They're not just bluegrass or hip hop or whatever. These are artists that are putting material out on albums that appeal to a very wide audience. And I think that's really important because um, I remember when I was a kid, a lot of times I'd buy an album and you'd buy it because it was a song you knew on it, the hit or whatever. But what you'd really fall in love with was a, was a inner cut on that album that was in a musical yeah. style you didn't expect. And you just fall in love with it, you know? And I think we, we should be doing the same thing to, to people that buy our albums, right, yeah. Elizabeth? I mean, yeah. I know you agree. We've talked about this many times. Completely and your album agree. is so well-rounded like that. It's, it's so diverse, and, and, but still cohesive. It's beautiful. And that was cutting off some of, I have a couple songs in more an old country vein and some instrumentals in a, with influences from a bluegrass and classical backgrounds. And, you know, those are yet to be released on an album yet. And, and, but, you know, we, there was so, I have so many influences that feed into my writing styles. And my goal is always to never write the same song twice. Um, that we even with 14 tracks we didn't have room for everything so it's but having a producer who encouraged that was amazing that's that well, is I just can't stand this formulaic production stuff. and neither it can makes I me but crazy neither I just, can I but that's I usually what's out there cities that do that but <laughs> there are places where that is the norm you know, you yeah. hire certain musicians to play a certain style of thing exactly to fit within a, a framework that they've established. Yeah, and Yuck. I can't, I've never been able to stand that, that, and I don't like being pigeonholed. And, but Kenny, you've influenced me over the years um, a whole lot in that and exposing me to different artists and all that they did, and especially your work with them. So hearing, well, they usually do this, and and I wrote this part, and, and they did this, and, and hearing how... Um, that versatility just it um, it could be and um, and Kenny's work is just all over the map from scores to um, to country to blues and jazz and funny political <laughs> and also completely heart-wrenchingly <laughs> beautiful and and depressingly wonderful um, or wondering wonderfully depressing <laughs> but i'm of the i'm of the same mind as you guys though um you know i would buy an album because i mean we we grew up in that area you know i was uh 
I remember where I was every time a certain album was released or the first time I heard a song. I don't think that's the same anymore for 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 younger people. I don't think it means that much of a social placement. Um, I think it's something. It was something sacred for us, you know. And when we bought that album, because we heard one song or two, and then, as Carlos said, we fell in love with tracks five and six, and those are the ones, you know, those are the ones you never get to hear anymore on terrestrial radio. Uh, fortunately, there are people like uh, XM Radio, which has a deep tracks um, station, where they will they will dig out some tracks that I've even never heard. Um, and I, you know, I think that's missing terribly in the, in the in the fabric of music today you know they don't have that you know you can name the, the first Hendrix album or the Jefferson Airplane or, and I know where I was when I heard the, the song and I heard like a Rolling Stone for the first time I know exactly where I was um, where were you that I was in my parents car we were driving my uh, my brother to college for his first year uh, wow it was and uh and it came on the red, and they kept saying they're going to play a new Bob Dylan song. And I, you know, I just, you, and then when you buy a record, when you bought a record back then, you played it until your, your parents said, can you stop playing? You know, you played it over and over and over and over and over. And, um, and it was a lot more, uh, it's hard to say, you know, I'm, I'm sure when people invented the wheel, there were going to be a lot of people that said, "Oh man, this is going to ruin everything," uh, and, <laughs> and 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 that's you know I try not to to be to be there, but um, it's not the quality I'm talking about. It's the feeling that that and and the social significance that that music had when we were younger, and that's what we're that's exactly what Carlos is talking about doing with this label that. that uh, that that's just disappearing. You know, you look at the Grammys now, and the, and you look at the five contenders for Song of the Year, and there are no less than twelve writers on every one of those songs because it's all about tracks. One guy sends a drum track, one guy sends a bass track, and it's like, where's the uh, where's the soul? I mean, I know that you know producers like Max Martin and people are you know supposed to corral all that and make it soulful, but uh, it's just not the same. So uh, I consider myself very lucky. Old school. And <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Kenny. So lucky that, and, and I'm realizing it more and more um, just because of these conversations and going, man, I still was in the, the tail end of that time where I went to the record store. I, I listened to the radio and I heard tracks and then I... And then I went to the record store, Plan 9 Music, local yep. store here, the best. Um, friends at Plan 9. Yep. I would go down, um, because I only had so much money, I, w I had to really think about how was I going to get the biggest bang for my buck. And um, I go into the used sections almost always. I would have to really want something bad to spend 15 or 13 dollars on on a new cd but i usually i would go down and uh into the basement where all the used tapes and cds and mostly vinyl were yeah. and vinyl was a dollar just a basement full of a dollar max three dollars and sometimes sales for 10 cents or a quarter and i would come out with 
piles. I would spend hours down there until they closed and kicked me out. And <laughs> and I that was really how I explored music. And so I started paying attention to, to dates. On the I'm just so lucky that I was able to catch the tail end of that before the internet came along and, you know, quite frankly, ruined a lot that yeah. that feeling well think about that the connection we had for the tangible you know yeah. i my first music memories were sitting between speakers on my stomach looking at the album artwork as it played if it had lyrics that was oh, great yeah. yes but just oh, yeah. staring at the artwork and then you had to take care of it gingerly you didn't mm -hmm. want it to scratch and it had to go in the little sleeve there was a physical reverence that you had to have for this thing it's like holy you know it's also really good for sorting pot too <laughs> <laughs> double albums double albums <laughs> <laughs> it was weeds and stems and stuff out yeah when Eat a Peach came out I was like whoa can... <laughs> yeah. we've talked a lot about the work of the album what goes into it I always love getting to know people as people so Kenny I can ask you uh, what food can you eat till it just makes you sick and you don't care you just love it so much <laughs> I, I've, I've often asked people what their their death row meal you know what oh, what, what would yours be what, uh, mine would be um Joe's stone crabs appetizer from Miami, um, and then any kind of linguine and hot sausages, and probably key lime pie or or uh, coconut cream pie for dessert, and then uh, and then the next day I'm gone. <laughs> I like your palate, Kenny. I like it. Yeah. I'm gonna. Do you? Oh I, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Carlos, how about who would be your dinner, your dream dinner guest? Who would you love just to sit and pick their brain? Oh, that's a I, good one. I had my dream dinner guest. Tell me. Quincy Jones. <gasps> Holy shit. And it was amazing. And Andrea was there, and uh, so was uh, a, a good friend of mine, Samson Trent, was there. And he, he was speaking at the Richmond Forum, and we grabbed him uh, at a reception after that and just sat down for, like, he's got a weakness for women. So we sent in Andrea first, and uh, she started talking to him, and they just had a great time. And uh, and uh, you know, and by the way, people that don't know Andrea is an engineer here who's fantastic, trucking engineer all over the record. She actually is the person that tracked this record. She's the engineer that tracked this record. So she's, uh, and I think this record sounds bloody great so sure does, so does yeah one. so she did a hell of a job but she also can talk to quincy jones so it, that was fun so we got him going with andrea and she was asking him a bunch of stuff and of course he was impressed that she's this technical you know minded music production person and uh then we go up and start talking to him and we had a great time we were talking to him about what he thought of all these different artists and who he had worked with and everything he was like an open book he was great so I've had my dream, and I can't imagine anybody in the industry, honestly, who would be more interesting than Quincy Jones. He's sort of the pinnacle for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Miss Elizabeth, who would you like to sit down with? Mm, so many people. I don't know. I think it would probably be, I want to say Ella Fitzgerald or maybe Big Mama Thornton. Maybe her. Real character. <laughs> She'd bring you out of your shell. Uh-huh. <laughs> wouldn't, you wouldn't get much to eat. <laughs> <laughs> so, Elizabeth, where can people go to make sure they know when this comes out and they can get their copy, whether whatever format they prefer? 
They can go to elizabethwise.com or uh, Facebook or Instagram or, or each Elizabeth Wise Music. Thank you so much for being here and taking your time to Thanks, chat so with us to talk music. All of us. Uh, we will definitely go to the website. We'll make sure we're following you and just jumping into that community um, that's supportive and making music. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, Thank you guys. You. Carlos, lovely to meet you and great job, both of you. Thanks, you Kenny. Be sure to like, follow, and subscribe to us for the podcast on all the usual suspects. And of course, be sure to tune in every Tuesday night at 7.30 p.m. YouTube, Facebook, Twitch for Shaco Sessions Live. That's a wrap.